Right, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. Well, today he starts with another parable. And I think it's because he wants to make another another point on, okay, you've been warned. A warning causes you to be prepared. A warning causes you to take notice, to be ready. So I think here he says this parable, and, and it's just a continuation of that you either are going here or you're going there. You've been warned. Um, see, I have told you this ahead of time. I mean, yeah, all these, all these one-liners we have heard. And so I don't think there's a one of us in here that can say that we don't get it. He made it very clear. But he's going to bring this point up one other way. He's going to say, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, these ten virgins, ten bridesmaids, whichever way you want to look at it, but, you know, I have to say, I don't you think most women just love a wedding? I think we just love weddings. And I, I can remember when my girlfriend and I, Jenny and I, we, we've been friends since we were both five years old. And we're still best friends today. And I remember when we lived in Wyoming Park, and there was a drugstore that we would always go to. And we were coming home from that drugstore one Friday night. And we were walking down Porter Street, and we went by a church. It was Beverly Reformed Church. And we noticed that they were getting ready for a wedding. And I looked at my friend Jenny, and I said, let's go home and put a dress on, and let's go to the wedding. Well, we didn't know who these people were. And the other day, I was talking to Jenny. I said, do you remember when we went to that wedding? And she says, she said to me, what you talked me into? Which was true. I did. I mean, she was such. A, she's, she's still such a good friend. But anyway, we went home, and our moms must have said okay, because we put our best dress on. We walked back to Beverly Farm Church. We walked into the church, and a man came up to us because obviously we didn't have any adult with us. So a man came up to us and said, "Can I help you?" I said, oh, no, we're just here to watch. So they just let us go, and we sat there in the back, and the two of us just watched this wedding. Oh, we just loved it. And then we left after the wedding and walked home. But it was something I still, to this day, I mean, it is amazing to me. It is 56 years later, and I can still remember what these bridesmaids were wearing. They all looked identical. I mean, I, I couldn't get over how the dresses were all the same. What they wore in their hair was all the same. The flowers were all the same. From the outside, I looked at them, and they were all identical. And I think the point is here is that when we look at these ten bridesmaids from the outside, they all look the same. I can remember that was during Jackie Kennedy days. Remember when they, when the ladies wore pillboxes, and she had a pillbox, and they all loved it. 
But anyway, Jesus is telling this parable, and so we get a mental picture of these ten bridesmaids. And I think they're all doing their job as far as they want to make sure they get the bride to the bridegroom. But the Jewish culture had had a different approach to weddings. They did things in three steps. The first step was the two fathers came together, and they made an agreement. The second was almost like our our marriage, because that's when the the boy and the girl came together to make their vows, to agree together, to make their promises. And then they went their separate ways. The third step was when the celebration came, but they did a really unique. Now, they knew when the bridegroom was coming, but they didn't know the day or the hour. It was exactly what Jesus said here. This story would would resonate with the people. They would understand that. So the bridesmaids would know the instructions were that you don't know exactly the day or the hour when the sound will be made, when the crier will announce that the bridegroom is coming. So you've got to be ready at all times because your job is to get the bride to the bridegroom. And you don't know exactly when. Those are the instructions. So Jesus goes on to say that the five, there were five that were wise and five that were foolish. Now we have learned from Proverbs that there is such a difference between wise and foolish. The wise, a wise person, is one who listens to God's instructions and obeys them doesn't seem that difficult, but that's a wise person that listens to instructions and does what they're told. Now, these five wise bridesmaids knew that the instructions are be ready because you don't know. You don't know exactly when he's coming, so be prepared. Now, what does it take to be prepared? What did it take for them to make sure that they had extra? It takes time. It takes effort. It, t- it probably took a little more money. It took on their part to put themselves aside to do whatever it took so that they did the job, that they listened, and they obeyed the instructions so they could fulfill the job. The foolish, you can almost hear them. Ah, it'll be fine. You can almost hear them get so caught up. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put in that extra effort. I don't. It's gonna be fine. And you can just see because that's the fool. The proverb says that a fool is someone who says in his heart that there is no God. He doesn't say it with his mouth, but he says it with his heart because his actions prove I know better. I'm smarter. I don't have to listen to instructions. I don't have to go the extra mile. All will be fine. I've got enough. All these things. Well, it said the bridegroom was a long time coming, and they became drowsy and fell asleep. Verse 6, at midnight, the cry rang out, 
Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Did you notice that the bridegroom, the crier announces the bridegroom is coming? Here's the bridegroom. He's coming. He doesn't come to them. They have to go meet him. They have got to make the effort. The bridegroom is going to fulfill his, his end, but you have to fulfill yours. And the instructions were the bridesmaids had to be ready to get the bride to the bridegroom. It said the virgins woke up. They trimmed their lamps. Well, five of them did. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. The wise bridesmaid said, no, they may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, you go to where they sell oil and buy some for yourself. Now, when you first read that, don't you think? <laughs> At least I did. I thought, well, that wasn't very nice. My mom taught me I got to share. And you first think that, you know, they're, they're really not being hospitable. I mean, come on, let's share a little bit. But, you know, this is a parable, and it's got a deeper meaning. And so what is Jesus trying to say? What is oil anyway? What in the Bible, when we read about oil, that is symbolic, that represents what? The Holy Spirit. Now, these wise bridesmaids, they had what it took because they followed instructions. And they they followed to the point that they had enough. Now, if this is the Holy Spirit, can you give others the Holy Spirit? You cannot give someone the Holy Spirit that you have. Can you give someone your faith? Can you give them a piece of your faith? Because you know if we could, we would. For those who just will not listen, you just wish you could just take them and say, here, have some of mine. But that's not possible. There's only one place that you can receive God's spirit, that you can have what it takes, is when you make the provisions to go to the cross, and when you accept Jesus, when you humbly come to that cross and knowing you can't do it without him, you then receive his Holy Spirit. And so they had to leave, and they had to go. And then during that time that they were going to get more oil, the bridegroom came. While they were there, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins, the bridesmaids were ready, went in with him to the wedding banquet. And I hope that you see, and I hope that you underline this last line here, and the door was shut. The door was shut. When else do you know about a door shutting? Noah. If you've ever gone to Kentucky and you've seen the ark, and it's so awing to see the, the real dimensions, and then you get an idea of how huge that was. But there, there was something even more than the size. When I was inside, I went by that door, 
And all of a sudden I realized, because come on, when you look at a door, there's a doorknob on both sides. And when you walk by that door, it is very visual that there is no doorknob. There is no way that that door could be shut or that door could be opened because it was shut by God. Because I still, I still know that there, there has to be, when that rain started and when those girls heard their families on the outside, when they wouldn't believe, you know they recognized voices, let me in, and they couldn't. You know that at this point, too, you know, you know that the door was shut by God. And it, wouldn't, it was not going to be open later. The, it said the others came, sir, sir, open the door. But it replied, I tell you, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. I don't know you. Now, I had to go back because this shouldn't be a surprise to you that this is the answer. But remember, from the outside, all 10 of these girls look the same. All of a sudden, these 10 are so totally different. Because what God sees, that is from the inside. And that's the enormous difference. And you've got five in and you've got five out. Even though outside, they look the same. All right. Matthew 7, 21. I open your questions. You went back because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made it very clear. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter glory. There's going to be many surprises. And they're going to say, yeah, but I sat in this such and such pew. No one ever dared sit in it because they knew every week I sat in that pew. Did you, did you tally all the, the funds that I gave? Come on, you know. You know how I signed that check. You know my name. And he says, I never knew you because you didn't follow the will of my father. And the will of the father is that you know his son and that you come to him in a very personal way. And you think you can get in any other way? I mean, the parable that we, we read about the, the person that tried to get in wearing the wrong wedding clothes. I mean, how many stories, how many ways do we have to hear before Jesus gets through to us that we can only get to heaven through the blood of his son and the humility of our own self? So he says, he says in other passages, oh, wide is the way. Many find that way. But narrow is the gate, and few there be that find that. Oh, there are many that are invited, but only few are chosen. I mean, he goes on and on trying to show us that unless you follow my instructions, I don't care how many good things you do, you're not getting there. Following the instructions are so important. And I think this parable of today shows you again. 
You can all look, you can all be friends of the bride. And you can all look the same on the outside. And yet he can see whether you're real or not. Are you real in your heart? Because there's artificial friends too. But he can see if we're real. And when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, you can all look the same, but he sees our heart and that's what he's going after. I want to make sure you know if you're real. Because I can see, and I'm going to shut the door, and there is going to be a time when it's too late. So you better keep watching, and you better be doing something about it, because that's what watching means. And that's why he moves into the next parable. He doesn't just want us warned. He wants us watching And watching means working for him, not just sitting there in your eastern window looking to see if he's coming. He's saying, I need you busy for me. I need you working for me. I need to see how important this gospel is for you so that you take it to the next generation. Now, we're going to move into this parable and I saw it in an altogether different way this week. And, I'm, and I know the general consensus of how we take the parable of the talents. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you what the Lord, I feel the Lord gave me this week. And I'm just going to see. And you can weigh it out. Because I look at the context. And I see what this follows. He says, therefore, I want you to keep watching because you don't know the day or the hour. And you know that he doesn't want us to sit and do nothing. We are taught to work out our salvation, not work for it. But once you're saved, you then have a job to do because like I prayed today, it is not about us anymore. It's about him. And what are you doing until he comes back to retrieve you, to give you all what he promised? What are you doing with the gospel? So again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Now, what is his property? If we are looking at the man going on a journey, we can look at it like, the, like many of the parables. This is the father saying, I'm calling in my servants and I'm entrusting my possession. What is the father's most priceless possession? His son. To one he gave five talents, and to one he gave two, and to another one. Now, did you notice that he gave according to the ability? Some he gives the ability to five. Some he gives the ability of two. Okay, but this is where I'm going to change things up. I'm going to say to you that I believe 
that his priceless possession is Jesus. So when he is going to give us his possession, I'm saying he is handing you and I, his son. He's handing us the gospel message, the saving message. He's handing it to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And he's handing the priceless message of the gospel. And to some, he gives five opportunities. To some, he gives two. And to some, he gives one. And he knows, and he knows how he's going to use us. So I'm a firm believer that he gives us what we need to fulfill the mission that he put us on. Because it says right there, to each according to his ability. Now I'm going to show you another reason why I believe that he's handing you and I the gospel and saying, okay, now I want you to go out and I want you to bring in more. Your job is to tell the next generation. Your job is to teach your children. Your job. I had a I had a lady last night that came up to me and said, for the first time, I realized my life has worth. God gave me six children, and I didn't have, I couldn't. With six kids, I couldn't do any outside jobs. And I always felt like I never could quite contributed fully to God's kingdom. But I see that God gave me six kids and he knew I couldn't do anything else, but that was enough to raise those six kids to know Jesus. He knows where he's going to put us. He knows the opportunities that we're going to be having. He knows the means he's, he's going to gift us with, whatever. And he chooses to give to whomever, however. And he says, I know the ability, so I'm handing you my most precious possession, and that is my son. And how are you going to bring it? Because someone's got to bring it. Because how are they going to know? Did you notice that to the one he gave five, to the one he gave two? It says in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned, settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. He went out there and took the gospel and he presented it. And five more came. The one with two went out and brought two more. What does Jesus say? Now, whether the five had five or the other one had two, I, I went back and checked and there isn't one word difference between what he said doesn't matter whether you've been given five or two opportunities or whatever. No, if you took the gospel and you used it, given the opportunity to give it, instead of clamming up and saying, no, I'd rather be, I'd rather be popular with my kids. I don't want to, I don't, I'd rather be their friend than their parent. 
Or I don't, I don't know if I better tell that neighbor this because I want to keep a friendly relationship. You can come up with all your excuses. But if you go and you are, you are given the precious commodity of the gospel, you've received it for yourself and you're grateful for it, the least you can do, he said, is go out there and make more. You go out and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission was given to every one of us in our unique way, in the way that he made us. What is your life all about? Is it about me or is it it about you? What are you trying to achieve? I hope you don't mind a, a little personal story that happened to me this weekend. My granddaughter, Jenna, she's 17. She had to sing Sunday morning. And Chad was going to play for her on the guitar, and it was just priceless. Chad was wearing his robe playing the guitar, and Jenna's singing. But before that, Jenna came up to me, you know, when she saw me come into church, she came up to me, and she was kind of all in a dizzy. Oh, Grandma, I woke up this morning with a bad cold, and it's just going to sound terrible, and I'm not going to be able to hit those high notes. And, and oh, Grandma. And I looked at her, and I put my hands on her cheeks. And I said, Jenna Lynn Pierce, I know the song you're singing this morning, and I practiced it with you. And I know the words, and it's broken vessel. And we are broken vessels that only Jesus can put together. And someone in this audience needs to hear that. You have been given the responsibility to tell them that they need to be broken, but they have a Savior that will put them back together. You've been given a talent. You've been given an opportunity. And I guarantee you, if you sing this song because you know it's true, and because you believe it with all your heart, your voice will follow. And by the time it hits people's ears, the Holy Spirit is going to make you sound better than you ever have. And you know what her answer back to me was? Oh, Grandma, that's right. It's not about me, is it? And I just hugged her, and I got tears in my eyes because I thought, oh, good, she's got it. And she went up there, and she sang it, and she didn't look at the audience. She closed her eyes, and she sang that with an intensity I never heard Jenna sing before. In fact, I saw that Christian Reformed girl raise her hand during the song. Because she was feeling it. She could care less about what people were thinking. It was a responsibility for her to make sure they heard. And the Lord uses music in powerful ways. We know that. I cried. Because I knew that she's a 17-year-old girl that wants to appease that wants to look good in front of her peers, that wants to make sure everybody knows that she is, has practiced hard and has got a good voice and everybody loves the accolades, especially a 17-year-old girl. 
So yes, I am thinking our job as grandmas, as moms, you've been given an opportunity. She had to be taught that. Because a normal 17-year-old girl is going to get up there and try to wow the audience. Because you know what? I was a 17-year-old girl. And I know what I tried to do for way too many years before the Lord got a hold of me and somebody told me that it wasn't about me. It was a gift, an opportunity he's given me to give the gospel out. And the beautiful thing about it is he comes back and he gives you three things. This is why it's so worth the effort. It's so worth putting yourself aside. It's so worth using your talents for him. I mean, I shudder sometimes. I look at some of these people who've got enormous talent. And you know that they're God-given. And of course, in the music business, I can't help but look at someone like Barbara Streisand, and she's got a set of pipes like I've never seen. And I've watched that girl, and it started as a young girl, and I saw her grow into womanhood, and I saw her use that gift that the Lord gave her, and I saw her make millions with that gift. And I saw all praise get heaped upon her. I saw the names people called her. And I think to myself, what would have happened if that God-given talent was used because we have been given opportunities and been given the gospel of Jesus. But we're going to see, and I'm going to use Barbara again, when the person with the one talent Because watch. The master told the one with five and the one with two because they listened. They were willing to sacrifice themselves. They were willing to put forth the effort. First of all, we can know that we're going to get praise from him. Isn't that something? We're going to get praise from Jesus. And then when he says, You've been faithful with a few. I will put you in charge of many things. I look at that and I think, man, what is he going to have me do in the new heaven and the new earth? What work is he going to have me doing for him? Because it says right there, the opportunities that I gave you on earth, guess what? I'm going to give you more here. So he's going to give us rewards. He's given praise. He's going to give rewards. And then to me, this says it all. Come and share your master's happiness. You can share in your master's happiness. I love the King James even better. Come, enter into the joy of the Lord. Isn't that the best of all? The man, in verse 24, the man who had received one talent came. Master, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. 
I'll tell you, you talk about excuses. You talk about being in front of Jesus. When he said, I gave you the opportunity, I gave you the talent, and this is where I, that's why I'm taking this, ta- this, this parable in another direction, because what did he do with this opportunity? Nothing. He buried it. In other words, he didn't even keep it for himself. And so he had all these excuses when he stands before Jesus because we've learned everybody is. And he's going to say, yeah, but you know what? You were kind of too hard. You're kind of mean. Your instructions. In fact, I think he even called Jesus a cheat. You harvested where you didn't even sow the seed. So he starts making false accusations to me that says he didn't even know them. I wanted to do it my way. And so I'm going to give you all these excuses. I thought I knew better, so I'm just going to bury it. Boy, look at Jesus' response. He said, you lazy, wicked servant. So you, so you, you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Oh, so you think you know better than me? So you think you know me so well that you can make your own decisions on how you think you wanna live your life and where you're gonna spend your eternity? It's all up to you. You should at least take it and put it in your pocket or put it in the bank to at least get some interest. You should have done something with it. Take the talent from him, give it to the one who has done for everyone who has will be given more and he and will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. See, to me, this shows that this man did not even take it for his own because look what Jesus does. If he would have taken it for his own, at least, even if he never did anything with it, but he at least received it for himself, he wouldn't have gone to hell. But he did nothing with it. He had the opportunity right there He took it, but he buried it. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This man had no respect for Jesus. He had no desire to get to know him. He had no way. He he didn't want to obey him and make the effort and put himself aside. He wanted to obey nothing of the instructions. And so this is what his punishment is. That's why it's so important that we're that we've heeded the warning, but that we're not just well, that we're ready and prepared 
because ready and prepared means then you're watching and you're working. You're working until he comes again because we have a job to do. Okay, now last week we went into a lot of detail between Matthew 24 and the Revelation here because it's his final words of teaching here. So he pretty much just kind of puts it all into one basket here and says these words. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in the heavenly glory. Again, no details, no timetable, none of that. He just says, I'm coming back, and when I come back, all the nations will be gathered together, and there's going to be a separation as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. I'll give you this mental picture. The shepherd's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep go on the right. The goats go on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He had intended to save the lost and to give those who repent. He already intended to give us an inheritance. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The righteous will answer. Now remember, the righteous are the ones who have the right wedding clothes on. They've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And because then you are filled with his spirit, and I had you look up those verses, because I wanted you to know that a life filled with God's spirit is going to be a life that is so contrary to a life that isn't filled with the spirit. And he's going to prove it. He's going to say, you're feeding the hungry. You are feeding the thirsty. You are, you are helping the needy. Wherever their need, wherever I told you to go, you went. And then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did we give you something to drink? When did we take care of you? When did we come and visit you? And the king replied, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. In other words, this Holy Spirit does his best work when we don't even realize it. When we are being led by God's Spirit, we don't even know that what we're doing is for him. We don't even realize it. We just do it. The, see, when the heart's right, the body follows. And did you realize from this passage is that he sees everything you're doing? I think he 
I think he gave me a visual. I think one time, long time ago, he gave me a visual of this. I was in this little church, and I noticed because there was such, it was such a little church, I recognized everybody, or I could notice everybody. And there was a homeless man, or some tattered man, sitting in the aisle seat, about halfway. And he never took his eyes off me. He just watched me. When the concert was done, he scuffed up to me. And he was a tattered mess. His hair was matty. He was dirty. His clothes had holes in. He was mute. He couldn't talk. And he opened up my hand and put coins in my hand. And then he pointed over to the CD table. Well, it didn't take much for me to figure out. I said, oh, do you want a CD? And he shook his head, yes. I said, you are welcome to a CD. But here, let me give you your money back. You don't have to pay for it. And he shook his head, oh, no. But I had no idea. I knew it wasn't bills. I knew it was just coins. But I just got my fist shut. And I watched this man go to the CD table. And I saw him scuffed to the CD table. And I noticed that a little child, right at the time that he was going to the CD table, a little child ran up to me and started pulling on my dress. And so I knelt down to talk to her just for a second. I just gave that little girl just a, I just gave her a little hug and I reminded her because she was up on the front, remember you're God's kid. I just did a little of that. I stood up to help the man pick the right CD that I thought would be beneficial for him. And he was gone. Now he's a scuffer. And I know how long I've been down. So I knew that he was probably just outside the door. I ran out there. I couldn't find him anywhere. I ran back in. I said to the minister, did you see that homeless man? That tatter man? He said, yeah. I said, does he come to your church? No, never seen him before. I went to the car. Tom never saw him. I opened up my hand when I got in the car, and inside was 35 cents. So obviously, that wasn't going to cover the CD, so I think I was under a test to see who I'm doing this for anyway. But then there was a tiny little piece of paper among those coins. Because I think that the Lord knew that if I didn't look at the 35 cents and go, go after him, saying, I don't know, you don't have enough here, I would have missed. Because on that teeny piece of paper, it said, and as you minister, see to it, they never miss the grace of God. That happened as sure as I'm standing here. 
Sometimes when you are when you are willing to work for God's kingdom and you do it for the least of these my brothers, you have no idea. When you pay something forward or whenever you when the Lord tells you to do something, you have no idea if that's him. Because in my book, that tattered old homeless man was Jesus. In some shape or form, some angel unaware, whatever you want to look at it, you don't know. And that's why he says, the righteous are going to say, I didn't even realize it, didn't even know it, wasn't even that big a deal. But that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. But did you notice that it's like Jesus takes a deep breath and says, oh, I'm so sorry, I have to continue. But there's another side, and it's called the left. And he's going to have to say to them, depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you think Jesus wants to say these words? Of course he doesn't. But it is no one's fault but their own because the opportunity was there. For I was hungry. He said the same thing again. But their answer is going to be, wow. When did we see you? When did we see you sick? When did we see all this happen? And when Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of these, you did not do it for me. In other words, of course you didn't see him because it was all about who? It was all about me. You put all your eggs in one basket. It was all about yourself. And then he finishes by saying these words. Then they will go away to eternal punishment. Again, black and white, two choices. It's up to you. What are you doing now? But the righteous, and this is the way I'm so glad he left it. Uh, it's, he left it better than last week. He wanted us thinking last week. But this week he says this. But the righteous. You and I, we can take a deep breath and say, it is well with my soul. The righteous do eternal life. Good lesson. Have a blessed Holy Week. Ah, what a week it is.